We're going to be in 2 Kings right now. Would you turn with me there, please? The bulletin is partially correct, 2 Kings, but we're actually going to be right now in chapter 4, picking it up in verse 38. We'll go as far as we can. Second Kings, chapter 4, beginning at verse 38. Just a brevity of narration before we cut into the word. Title, though, will probably either make you laugh or you'll go, what is it with these titles? But it pertains to the two sections here that we'll be going over. Flower power and spread the bread. And you've heard that term before. If you were a part of the 60s generation, there was a time in which that was the icon of the peace nicks and beat nicks and hippies. It was the big five-petaled flower, whichever one that is. I don't know if it's a daisy or whatnot. I remember I got into it briefly, broke my foot, and decided to design my cast with a big giant flower on it. Nothing wrong with smelling flowers. There's nothing wrong with being impressed, planting them in the garden. But it really was, if you look back on it, kind of an icon that was rather silly for many reasons. At that time, pop culture had a particular artistic bent towards exaggerating the things that a generation became comfortable with. One was, as you remember or recall, perhaps historically looking back on, was the keep on trucking. The guy had a swagger that was forward facing, usually a side profile, and his foot was out like this. And it was a rather distorted leg, grew longer, the foot was larger. And he was just happily going his merry way. But that generation, even with that slogan, be it flower power or be it keep on trucking, they all found the outcome to be the same, that there was no power in a flower and there was nothing at the end of the line, no matter how their feet took them or the vehicle that they were driving got them. It was a dead end. When we look at this section of scripture, it's important to note that the individual that is being emphasized here, a real prophet, is one likened in the scriptures to what Jesus himself would do thousands of years later. Why is that important? It's important because when we see that he is both one who sat under the tutelage or ministry of a great man, Elijah, his personality was uniquely different than Elijah. Elijah was a fire and brimstone prophet, an in-your-face guy. He smelled like somebody that could do you harm just by smelling him. Elisha came alongside of him, and it was a unique personality that was more forged not in consequences, but actually blessings that would come through a compassionate heart 
that he would have for the predicament of people in their lives. Jesus would be portrayed as a compassionate Messiah who came alongside of people in the predicament of their life and to make a difference in the needs that they had and most importantly, assure them in his visitation, in his personal care of them, that God loved them. Very important. So when we see that these two are contrasted, we also come from a picture in which several weeks ago, the one that we note, noted in terms of an exceptional work, a miraculous work, was the healing of a son whose bereaved mother was only able to trust in a man that she had welcomed as a man of God into a home that was for him, kind of a Airbnb of the day. And even for Elisha, he would have to go through a series of faithful projections. In other words, he would have to seek, both by analyzing the situation, what God ultimately wanted to do in order to remedy the loss or the predicament. Jesus was much like that. He would even tell his disciples that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And it is my will that I do the pleasure or bidding of my Heavenly Father. We are connected. As we are one, Jesus would say to the disciples, you and I and the Father and the Spirit, we are one. One in what we would call today the body of Christ. One in the dunamis of the body, the power. Not flower power, but the spirit power. The Holy Spirit being given to us for extraordinary accomplishments, even in what some of us take for granted, the practical remedy of what you're going through. Do I believe that there's a chance that that GoPro camera on the bottom of the ocean could be found. Well, my thoughts are as if they found the Titanic, they can find that GoPro. Is it important for my faith to be rewarded with that request? Well, it's not important to the degree that I will lose my faith, but how exciting it is when we give God the opportunity through prayer to bring up something that has submerged and that has relevancy to both the owner and to also the one in whom it was entrusted. These things are important for us. Let's take a look at this passage of scripture right now and see what the Lord is showing us with regard to Elisha, who's handling some predicaments right now. Perhaps you're in a time of predicament and what you know you must do is seek God for the remedy. In verse 38 of 2 Kings chapter 4, it opens, And Elisha returned to Gilgal, and there was a famine in the land. So this is right now the area where we see a predicament. If there is a famine in the land, it means the rains did not come. The seed did not find itself in the soil. 
and there's not much around to eat. When we look at this as well, though this is practical, we need to realize we are in, these days, a time of famine. It's spiritual famine. It's not that the rains have not come, nor that God has deprived any of us of that. The spiritual rains have come. The Spirit of God is likened as to rain, and the Word of God is likened as to water. We, as of last week when we went into Proverbs, are 60% water. Together, as a body of believers, we are a pool. Stirred by the Holy Spirit, we are a tsunami. If that much of our body is in fact water, then it's an important thing to realize that when the world chooses other sources of replenishment rather than the true source which is found in him and is in fact the water of the word and the spirit of God, the empowerment that he gives, it's dry. There's a lot of people out there today that are dry, thirsty. And as a result of depletion that continues in their life, they're wilting. There's nothing that's going to satisfy that thirst. Only one, that's Jesus. It's the Son of God. And it is His righteousness, which can only be that which we receive by having a relationship with Him. That's what God looks at. What's the source of life? What is it that you need to be filled up with? And are you asking me to do that? That's what he would be speaking to this generation presently. So famine in the land and the sons of the prophets were sitting before him. And he said to his servant, put on the large pot and boil stew for the sons of prophets. Elisha is tending a school right now. It's a school of prophets. We, as a church right now, are overseeing a young generation of people that we have termed right now interns. It honestly could be any term, but the internship right now is one that means they desire to employ themselves by free volition, to be able to be used by God to bring refreshment to the body of Christ and the mechanics of ministry. Christy identified those three points very beautifully, very accurately. It's not necessarily that we know the ultimate end result, except we do know the one that by whom his desire is for there to be. Water that's flowing and refreshment that is evident to all of us. You'll meet some of them, or maybe you won't, because in their servanthood, they're doing things that you wouldn't even necessarily be able to identify them with because they're doing it in such humility. You'll never see it. Only God will. Only we will know. But that's an important point right now because Elisha right now is presiding over lives that are spiritual lives. And we'll even see that in some of, if you would, their tutelage, they don't fully understand what God's doing, even through 
Elisha who does understand. It's important to realize that when we as a group of believers are sitting among one another, we are under the tutelage of God. It comes through the voice piece of a pastor or teacher. It also can come through you as ones who both love God and serve him and love the family of God. But it's important to note that our voice comes as well from God to give an instruction to those who are both thirsty and famished. It appears that right now that there's drought or famine in the land, there's sustenance in this area right now. If this is a spiritual college, a school, and Elisha is presiding over it, he's taking care of their practical needs. He's going to have a supper whipped up for him. And very likely, because this is a special place, even as the house of God here is a special place, there's water to be served. This large pot is to be put on, and it says, boil stew for the sons of the prophet. So in our minds, we know kind of what that means to boil something. Most of us boil water for oatmeal or cream of wheat, Ralston's, whatever your hot cereal might be. We boil water at times to hard-boiled eggs or soft-boiled eggs. We boil water in order to heat up things that may require a double cauldron so it doesn't get scorched. But we kind of understand what that means to boil. And certainly with stew, it's one of those things where we say, ah, it's a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a smidge more of something else. The savory usually of a pot of stew is very compelling. Your stomach starts growling because usually it's not simply just soup. It's got in it meat and vegetables. It has a predictable smell and a broth. It's savory. There are many kinds of stews and we perhaps favor some over the others, but if there's a pot of stew, it's wonderful. Some have even cited that lentils itself in a manner that moves it into a real thick pottage is like a stew. I kind of prefer that there's meat in my stew, but I've also been impressed with a variety of beans that have been stewed. And so the command has been given, let's prepare something to eat. As this preparation is happening, it says in verse 39, so one went out into the field to gather herbs. Now note that that's the primary reason that this one who's not identified went out into the fields to gather. He went out there to gather herbs. Mustard, oregano, parsley, thyme, rosemary, sage, now it's reminding me of a song. <laughs> That's this person's mission. It doesn't necessarily say that he was sent out for it, but he takes initiative to do it. That can be an important spiritual lesson for us. 
that sometimes it's not what somebody has directly heard. It's an initiative that they take that isn't altogether wrong. It's adding to that which is good. Sometimes we exercise on this level of perceiving that what is started is good. And my heart's been touched to contribute in some manner. Though this individual is in pursuit of simply herbs, we trust that in that evaluation, they would know exactly the herbs or herb to gather and bring back to make this stew that we know is for the provision of sustenance for this school under the order of Elisha should be beautifully and wonderfully made and marvelous to taste. As this advances on in the gathering for herbs, it says, and found a wild vine. There's a direct correlation between the herbs that he seeks and a vine that becomes intriguing. It is important to note that in initiatives we take, if we are not asking God the next step, the next pick, we can err in what ultimately is something that leads us away from our first intention. And this is what's happening right now. Unidentified, but by initiative to contribute, goes out for simply herbs. In the process of finding the herbs, this individual is attracted by a vine. And this is what it tells us about this vine that seems to be right next to the herbs that are being gathered. He found the wild vine and gathered from it a lap full of, notice this, wild gourds. So there are what we would call in the squash family gourds that we eat. Acorn squash generally is something known as a gourd. There are others. They're wonderful tasting. Split them, put them in the oven, brown sugar, butter, softens it up. You rake it with your fork. It's just almost like a vegetable dessert. I don't take it for granted any of those squashes. And this may have been to this individual, that's, that's going to be a humdinger to put in this recipe. Well, we don't know necessarily that to be true at all. We don't know even if that individual knew anything about the gourds. What we do know is that he collects a lap full of them meaning that very likely as he traced the vine and moved forward through it, if it's a lap full of them, chances are it's not big giant gourds. It's a smaller version. Well, it's just a little one. Well, it's not a big one. It's just going to add a little to the recipe. And it's just enough for me to carry, not to be burdened by Sometimes initiation requires evaluation. What am I doing it for? Why am I doing it? And will the outcome be what I already know in my nose and my eyes is happening? 
in the church at times as we move through the course of our life, there are changes that can happen that are not necessarily by order of the chef. They're by different kinds of initiations that led to a vine that said to the heart of that individual, I'm just going to add this to it. And then just a little bit more of that. And it's going to be wonderful once it combines with the recipe that was already started, already on the stove. Man, it's just going to make the difference. It's going to be wonderful for the people to eat. The lapful that I brought and careful to bring back, it's just going to be awesome. And so the lap full of gourds that are wild gourds come into the kitchen and there apparently is the slicing of them into the pot of stew. They weren't waiting for these gourds to be the essential for the stew. The stew was already cooking. It's important to note again, this was initiated. It wasn't commanded. The command had been given to start that stew. It seems that the provision had already been made by Elisha. The work just needed to be done, but it needed to be done accurately. Again, had he come back with just the herbs, chances are that initiation would have been a wonderful contribution. But because the vine was so intriguing and what it seemed to offer was something more substantial, that became an amendment, something that was added to. And here's what we note with regard to the follow-up. They did not know what they were. There you go. God doesn't send us out to do things haphazardly or blindly. We know what we need to know when God sends us out. We are to know what God wants us to know if we're ignorant of that knowledge. We as spiritual people have the responsibility of not excusing. I didn't know. Why didn't you know? I don't know. I'm stupid. Possibly. But maybe you just didn't take it to prayer sufficiently. I'm sensitive with regard to that word. Even though I've used it for myself, I don't generally use that derogatory term towards anybody. As a teacher, I was highly sensitive of that term because I never believed that at any time there was a student that was stupid. I believed that there was a way in which I had not yet connected in their thinking, but by no means was I one that said it was impossible for them to learn. And the Lord would say that to us as well with regard to this. It says very clearly that they didn't know what they were. So if all of a sudden when you are doing the things that you know are right and the things that can be added that would be good, but you come across something in which you have no knowledge of, you don't make a presumption. David would say in the Psalms, Lord, save me from presumptuous sin. Why would I think adding that to this 
is going to make it better when I already have the evidence that it passed my smell test. I saw it with my eyes. I know who fashioned the things that are in that pot actually ready to be enjoyed. It doesn't take long, honestly, to cook stew. Unless the meat is tough, that can take a little bit more time. And so here's what we see. Then verse 40, they served it to the men to eat. Now it happened as they were eating the stew that they cried out. It's nothing to laugh about, but my humor is that the phrase that comes up and said, man of God, there is death in the pot. And hopefully those are not husbands that have said that on their first dinner after being married. It sets up a strange precedence as to why you're eating with the dog and not at the table with your bride. And they could not eat it. Very likely the phrase here is that what has been tasted is having an effect that is deadly. They are looking not at who did this to us, they are looking at Elisha who can save us from this. There's a difference because our culture is bent on finding who did this to us as opposed to looking to the one who can save us from this. And so isn't it interesting that that's really what we're seeing pictured here? Who can save us from this? Man of God, there is death in the pot. And so in the examination of, let's say, consequence. Who knew? Who would have thought this could have happened? That the Lord is the one ultimately that presides over the entire event. We go to him. Lord, my trailer was stolen and everything that I had put in it for the past 27 years. I'm going to look for him. And though in my heart and in my mind, I was indeed provoked for that reason, I knew that I needed to look to him for my heart to be at rest, for my loss to not take over, my reasoning not to become a vigilante. If I see my trailer again, I will pursue it if God permits me to. I will do it correctly. I won't do it unlawfully. But I've already made up my mind I may never see it again. But it doesn't mean there aren't other things for me to see as I follow just what the Lord has prescribed for me to see. But they cry out, and that's a good thing to do. You know, we have a brother that suffered an injury coming in from basically following the Lord, and we're watching the injury. We're praying over the injury. We want to see the Lord before him what he needs in the healing of that injury. We're not doing anything that is wrong. What we, do, what we are doing right now is listening to the heart of both the wounded warrior and making a decision that is also authenticated by those who in the medical profession have evaluated it by pictures, telling us what to do. And that's what we're doing right now. We're following right now a coursework of what we've been directed to do, not per se worrying about it or trying to take anything more into our own hands, but really just trusting the Lord right now. 
until the validation of professionals on both sides and our heart to see the Lord do a wonderful mending of it as it's being tended, we want the Lord to receive the glory. And the Lord may say, patience you have exercised, persistence you have been faithful in. It's now time to find a professional. Wasn't time then, it is time now. They cry out to Elisha, and here's what is said. Bring some flour, and he put it into the pot and said, Serve it to the people that they may eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. How did he come up with a remedy? Maybe this is how some of the Epicurean pros in the kitchen have learned that when you want to stiffen up a sauce, you add a little bit of flour. I prefer more of a saucy kind of thicker gravy or stew than a soupy one. I wouldn't say that this isn't that being pictured. But why would there simply be flour that's added that's actually not simply doing that, but it's one in which as it's being added, it removes the death penalty from the pot. What was initially savory becomes defiled because beyond the herbs, the gourds were added they were not what was known to that man, nor known to the palate of those who were eating, except it was in their heart and in their mind, not agreeing. They were beginning to perish. There's death in the pot. Add some flour. Here's what flour represents. Flour is from a grain. Usually we liken it to a wheat grain, similar to what's back here. That's a heads of wheat. The wheat symbolize for the church and in gathering. It's a harvest. And very likely the picture here that Elisha is saying is that in order to have that harvest, in order to have the fruit from that harvest, there is a crushing that needs to take place. The grind mill will need to be applied to the fruit of the head of that shaft. There needs to be the separation of the chaff so that the grain is exposed. And when the grain's exposed, it needs to be crushed and pulverized in order to have the flour that is able to be for us a sustenance. Well, but how does it how does it affect the, the poisonous aspect of the gourds? That I don't know. Except I will say this, that when we see the picture of one who, like a grain of wheat, was crushed and to the pleasure of his father, and Isaiah declares that to be exactly what is spoken of, that it pleased the father to crush his son, what in his crushing was provided for? Healing. How so? By the stripes that he took, or if you would, the flaying of his flesh, the crushing weight 
of both rejection and judgment upon him, he became for us the provision in which his blood cleansed us and his body broken for us would heal us. It's actually a picture because Elisha is that picture. And so one of the things that we see here in this very sweet conclusion is that dessert will follow. Because they were able to, if you would, eat from it because that was the promise that Elisha said. Flour is going to be added to this. The consequence of the addition will be made moot. No harm will come. But you got to eat. I'm not eating any more of this. Well, then you're going to die. Because what you're saying is that what you've eaten, there's no help for you. Elisha says, now eat after I've added this to it. You're arguing the point, perhaps even with God. That couldn't be sufficient what was added to it. It's, it's causing me right now to feel as though I'm dying. In fact, I am dying. I've cried out to the Lord. The Lord says, I heard you. I've added flour to that. I've added myself to that deathly feeling you have. I've added myself to it. I've been ground up for you. I'm added into this in which before there was death in the pot. It's not strictly a gourmet teaching. In fact, probably some of you will say, I'm never eating stew again. I don't know who's putting stuff in my stew. But I think we probably will eat stew. But the question would be, is there a consequence to our lives or to someone's life? Because in pursuit of the simple thing, taking initiative to just get something that would be a contribution and a blessing, we got distracted by another vine that had another fruit. And we were intrigued. And we said, this will be good. This is what I will add. This will be awesome. Mm. I smelled it before, but now they're going to taste my addition. I'm going to be famous. Famous for adding death to the pot. But do we want that or do we want what the Lord says? Add me to everything that is poisonous. Add me to what at a time in your life or presently you find savory. But it's not what I cooked. It's not what I put in it. Add it. See, there's times in which all of us simply have to pull away from what are our carnal appetites. Because there was a vine that led us away from the simplicity of the herb that would have been so nice to add. And we just got distracted. And it's just little gourds. It's just a lapful. It's what my shirt could hold. They're going to love me for it. It's going to be awesome. No, stomach started to turn and the cry was heard. There's death in that pot. Oh no, what have I done? Let the Lord then be the one that can undo what it is that you did because on initiative that initially was right, you went beyond it and it turned out to be not intentional but by presumption the wrong thing to do the wrong thing to add we have to be careful 
on these things. It's a wonderful story. Jesus would say in John chapter 15 that he is the true vine. It's really a very comforting area of scripture. I'm going to turn there just quick. John chapter 15. He's speaking to his disciples just as he's speaking to us now as well. It opens in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. It's so painful, though. It is so painful. That which has now been put in the pot that I've tasted of, and now what, the remedy? That I'm under a pruning? The result of the pruning, it indicates, is a promise. And the promise is that we may bear more fruit. Herbs are a fruit of a plant and a very small amount that do so very much to enhance the flavor of life, of what God is giving us to enjoy. You don't have to be afraid of all the herbs. Some of the herbs you ought to be mindful of are not good for you. We got a lot of herb shops around here. In my day, it was punishable. In our day, it's palatable. Mm, give me some more of those cookies. What's in the cookie? In my generation, the herb was not to be. In this generation, the herb is to be indulged in freely. It's not good if herb indulgence leads to somebody that's in a car and they forget the responsibility that they have of being in charge of that vehicle. Hops are a wonderful plant. They're beautiful when in an arbor you see them strung up. Grant's Bass was famous for their hops. Hops are used for beer. There's nothing per se wrong with beer unless that herb, responsible for a liquid, becomes greater than the discipline and responsibility that we have of being in control. And so that's the lesson today. It moves into a part two because I didn't get to the other component part of it. We just made it to flower power. So we'll want to tune in and be ready for next week, which is spread the bread. Because when you determine that it is the Lord's crushing, what he went through, the sacrifice that he made, speaking even of a death by which the grain of wheat must fall in it to the ground and die, that it might what? Raise up. And from one seed a harvest of much. And so the Lord is doing a harvesting in these latter days. You can trust the word of God for that. You can trust the word of God for everything that he says. You can trust that if there are people that are misleading the church, which they shouldn't be, if they're handling the word of God, that for them or for any, you don't add to the pot. Jesus would say in his closing, I testify to everyone in Revelation chapter 22 who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, 
of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things that which are written in this book. We're not to add to the book of prophecy, but we are not as well to withhold. Initiative is great as long as we are mindful that it is not presumptuousness that we are moving in. We're living in wonderful times, though they are definitely hard times because of lawlessness, unrighteousness, acceptation of anything that a man, woman, or child decides to pursue. They have some way by which an excuse is made as to why they get their way, as opposed to God's word saying, my way, my way.